respond in some sort of way, right? Or you could just sit there silently and stare at me. Uh, that's what I'm used to. So if you do that, it'll be okay. Cool. Uh, thanks for having me again. It, it's a joy to be able to be here. Uh, this is one of my favorite times of the year, and it's because um, I grew up in this family where, you know, the, this time of year was just Christmas time, right? It's just, it's just Christmas, and there, there was nothing else to it. Uh, and then when I was actually, I think I was in seminary, I was introduced to the idea of Advent. I had never heard the word Advent in my entire life. Um, so maybe you're with me, and maybe you, this whole Advent thing is kind of new. Uh, I, as I've thought about Advent and thought about how to explain Advent to maybe someone who uh, is a little unfamiliar, as I was unfamiliar with what Advent is, I've thought about explaining Advent as a third way to experience Christmas. A third way to experience Christmas. First, you just have you just have regular old secular Christmas. Okay, you just have have regular Christmas, secular Christmas, which, according to many, has transformed Christmas into a celebration of winter and presents and consumerism. We all have friends on Facebook that are very upset about uh, this type of Christmas. Uh, the the second type of type of Christmas is Christiany Christmas, which is essentially the same thing. With the presence and the consumerism, but with more anger and Christian words, okay? So it's, it's the same thing. It's like Christianese with secular Christmas. Uh, these folks have dug into the, the trench for the war on Christmas. It's, it's just as much about the presence and consumerism, but we say Merry Christmas and not Happy Holidays. We pray to eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus. And the red Starbucks cups pose a threat to our very way of being. We all, have, we all have those friends. Maybe we are that person. Um, and then the, the third way to experience Christmas is Advent. It's Advent. And, you know, maybe there's more ways. Okay, we can keep on going. We can describe different things. But one of the ways that we can choose to experience the holidays is we can step out of the war on Christmas. We can stop taking sides, and we can approach it in a totally new and totally fresh way. The, the church has celebrated the season of Advent for centuries. Advent's the season leading up to Christmas, but it's not Christmas itself. It's distinct. The word Advent, it's Latin for, for arrival or coming. So it means that we're waiting on the arrival of Christ. The season of Advent is a period in the church where we remember Jesus' first coming and look forward to his coming again. The mood of Advent, then, isn't just joyful, happy Christmas time, but the mood of Advent is a longing, an expectation, a waiting. Do you feel as though God is silent? Like you cannot hear from Him? Have you experienced the tyranny of injustice or pain in this life because of the curse of sin? Advent gets to those places. Advent gets to the gritty places in our hearts. It looks at the shadows. It reminds us of the places where the sun doesn't shine, where the light is not, and it longs. It longs for the coming of a light, of a Messiah. Advent may take us to those dark places, but it doesn't leave us there. We all know that Every year as we celebrate Advent, it leads us toward 
Christmas, where we celebrate the light that is coming. There's a child of light, a baby who was born in Bethlehem, the incarnate God. He breaks in. He breaks into the darkness. He's done it before, and he's going to do it again. And so as we celebrate Advent, as we remember Advent, what we're doing is we're putting ourselves into the shoes of the the Jewish people during a time of silence from God. And we're saying, we also have experienced pain and suffering and the darkness, and we long for the light of Christ to come in. And we know that God has sent Jesus to do that, but we also are waiting for him to come again and bring light to our dark world, to bring joy to where there are sorrows. You see, when Jesus came as a baby, when he came in in bodily form for the first time, the world was a dark place. The people of Israel had been without a prophet for 400 years. 400 years they had silence from God. This God who did miraculous and amazing signs throughout the Old Testament. You read the Old Testament, it's full of God showing up, doing things. And not only when he doesn't show up and when he doesn't do things, he sends his people to declare his message. And so we have prophets declaring the word of God to God's people, reminding them of the truths of who God is and what he wants them to do. And then you come to this period where the prophecies cease, and then generation after generation after generation hears nothing from God. There's silence, darkness. 400 years. 400 years ago, the Mayflower was landing on Pilgrim Rock. That's how long the people went without Hearing from God. You have to believe that many of them started wondering, is this all just a myth? Is this real? What are we doing these things for? I've heard the stories, but I've never experienced the power. Many of you may be in that same place. You've heard the stories, but have you experienced the power? Are you caught in the darkness? Maybe we too are a people who long for a prophet. Maybe we also long for a word from the Lord in the same way that the people who are waiting for Christ to come during that period of darkness longed for a word from the Lord, something to give them direction. Now, when I think about modern prophets, uh, my first thing, the first thing that I think about, okay, so it's, it's crazy people, generally. Um, it's, it's, if someone calls themselves a prophet, generally what I think is y- you've lost it, all right? Uh, but the, the first one that I think of is Harold Camping. Uh, I don't know if anybody's familiar with Harold Camping. Um, about, I guess, like six years ago, he predicted that the world was going to end, and there were big billboards everywhere. I don't know if you remember this or not. I remember I was in Chicago for a Gospel Coalition conference, and this was the first time I saw one of these billboards. Uh, he had rented a, a flatbed uh, like tractor trailer and had the world is ending on a huge billboard driving around downtown Chicago, all around the loop. And uh, it freaked, I, I was like, who has the money to buy... <laughs> a billboard that size to drive around the loop in Chicago. 
Um, and then after coming back, a couple weeks later, I started seeing billboards all around Louisville where I was going to seminary at the time. And uh, just all over the place, the world is ending. Are you ready? May 21st, 2011. And um, sure enough, you, you know, we're still here. Harold <laughs> uh, wasn't right. Uh, in fact, he actually said, I got it wrong. I was right, but I got it a little wrong. It's actually Oct- October 21st, not May 21st. And, you know, we're still here also. So he, he was wrong. But he convinced a lot of people to give a lot of money. And I think it displays that people are longing for a word from the Lord. They're longing for a prophet. People wanted to believe what Harold Camping had to say was true. They wanted to believe it because he was saying that he is a man of God that's declaring the message of God. And I know that, you know, we might all think to ourselves that, you know, we're urban people. Surely we couldn't be duped by someone like Harold Camping. But we all long for prophecy in a different kind of way. We all long for direction from the Lord that leads our lives to have meaning and purpose. Without a word from the Lord, we're left up to make up, we're left to ourselves to make up meaning for ourselves. We want our lives, I think all modern people are this way, we want our lives to be about something, to be for something, to be purposeful, to have reason behind it. We want our lives to be worth something, to be valuable, meaningful. But without God speaking into our lives and giving us meaning, we're left to decide what's meaningful for ourselves. And so what do we do? Well, we create meaning in our own minds, given for whatever we're experiencing. We create meaning without something there to tell us what it is. This is just how people view the world. This is how I view the world. This is the, 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 the water that I swim in. There are days when I question if what I'm doing matters and leads me in a deep depression. Uh, almost every Sunday, I, you know, just let you into my life. Sunday evening's really hard time for me because uh, I live my life on, from going from Sunday to Sunday as a pastor, thinking maybe this Sunday God will show up. Maybe this Sunday uh, I'll feel like my life is worth something. And then I'm always disappointed because I've lost, I've lost sight of what I'm doing for the Lord, and I'm making my life about me, and I'm saying, I want more meaning, I want more purpose, and I'm not seeing how God is using my ordinary, everyday life for His purposes, and how He gives those ordinary things meaning. Instead, I'm, I'm making up my own meaning, and I'm leading myself to this place of depression. It's kind of like the movie Castaway, if you've seen this. Um, in Castaway, Tom Hanks, uh, you know, there's no real dialogue other than between him and a volleyball, uh, the volleyball Wilson. And Tom Hanks, I, I, I'm going to spoil the movie. I'm sorry, it's like 15 years old. Uh, <laughs> you should have seen that by now. Um, so, uh, t- you know, they really listen to you when you said respond a little bit more, like laughing. Good job, guys. Um, so in the, in the movie, uh, Tom Hanks is a, uh, he works for FedEx. He's flying internationally in a plane. I don't think he's piloting it. Um, he, he has a crash and lands on an island. He's stranded on an island by himself for four years. And so the movie's really interesting. It's a story about man's survival. He, um, 
finds all kinds of different things to do. He pops a tooth out with a, uh, like a uh, skating, a, a shoot, what is it? A skate. Um, so he, he like has to do his own dentistry. And uh, he, it's a really interesting story. And the whole time he's, he's longing to get back home to Memphis, which I can resonate with because I'm from Memphis. But he, he's longing to get back home to Memphis to see his wife, to be with his wife. And so the end of the movie, he finally figures out a way off the island, and he gets home, and, uh, you know, this, it's this exciting moment. You've been waiting for this the whole time, and uh, he's going to be reintroduced to his wife, but his wife is remarried because, wow, someone <laughs> has not seen the movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because it's okay. Go, go home, rent it. Uh, it's not on Netflix. You have to get it like Amazon Prime or something. Uh, his, his wife's already married. Uh, they buried him. They thought he was dead. And now he's back. And it, his wife is married. And the whole past four years was meaningless. It didn't, it didn't have any, what was the purpose? He was living to be reunited with his wife, and now she's, she's not available. And um, the end of the movie ends with him driving at a crossroads out in the middle of nowhere and making a turn. And, and what, the, what you're left to interpret from this movie is life is meaningless. You have to make up your own meaning. Yeah, he's got to make up his own, his, another meaning for himself at this turning point in his life. And that is what we feel like often. Life is meaningless. We have to make our own purpose. We live in a world where we only believe what's tangibly in front of us, but we're haunted by the idea that there has to be more to life than this. There has to be more to life than this. We're desperately longing for God to speak to us, for a voice of truth and purpose. You know, 20 years ago, there was a, a new atheist movement that swept the country, maybe the world. Uh, people like Richard Dawkins writing books like The God Delusion, uh, Christopher Hitchens. There were many people in the new atheist movement. And the subtext to the new atheist movement is was this. They, they never said this, but this is what you got if you read any of their stuff, if you listened to any of their lectures. It, it was, God does not exist, and I hate him. Like, that was, that was kind of the message from the new atheist, is he doesn't exist, and I hate him, which doesn't quite make sense. Um, the, the, the new new atheists, the ones that are around today that are, are making their name for the first time, it's not quite the same. The subtext these days is more like, God does not exist, but I miss him. It's like we're being haunted by this sense that there has to be more meaning, there has to be more purpose in life. And that's what Advent is all about. It's about saying, there's a word from the Lord that penetrates the darkness in my own heart that allows me to see the light and gives my life, my ordinary, simple life, meaning and purpose. Friends, what you're going through, what you're doing, has purpose. God has you in a place with meaning. Your life has meaning. Let me just say that to you. Your life has meaning. It's meaning. It, it means something to you today. I, I just want you to know that. Do you feel like your life lacks meaning? Uh, are you longing for more? Advent 
is for you. Are you a student? Do you feel like your classes are never ending? Maybe not even sure what you'll do when you graduate. You're given assignments that make no sense, that are meaningless. Those assignments are meaningless, but your life is not. <laughs> a stay at, are you a stay-at-home mother? Does the redundancy of changing diapers and disciplining toddlers wear on you? Do you feel like, do you feel as though there is great purpose in your work that you're doing? <laughs> do you feel valued, mothers, like others understand and appreciate what you do? And there's no more thankless job in the world than mother, I believe. Are you in a dead-end job? Stuck in a job that you know isn't going anywhere. Maybe you struggle to get out of bed every day and you just have to focus on your task so you can get your next break so you can spend 15 minutes looking at Facebook. Maybe you're like me and you've experienced needless and unexplainable suffering. What's the purpose in that? What's the purpose in that? That seems meaningless. Why? Friends, our, our lives often lack meaning. We're under the tyranny of injustice many days. But God has invaded our world to give us meaning. Even the most challenging suffering that we face has meaning and purpose when we view the world through the eyes of God. We don't have to invent our own meaning for suffering. God has already told us that it's through suffering, though it is painful and hard and it often feels as though it's meaningless. And sometimes you just need to sit there and be okay with that. But then we know from his scriptures that it's through suffering that in the end of the day that he uses this suffering to mold us into the shape of his son. That he uses it to purify our impurities, to burn them off, to refine us and to produce a faith in us that will help us to look for him, look to him for help, to look to the light. He uses the suffering. It has meaning. God uses it. Last week, you guys looked at John 1, 1 through 5. And I want to pick up there with a few verses later, John 1, 14. And it's just one verse that we're going to look at today. We're going to dive into it. Um, after the world's longest introduction, um, John 1, 1 uh, 14, it says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm going to read it again. <laughs> it was just one verse. I'll read it one more time. And the word became flesh, let that sink home for a second. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. What John's referring to is the word here um, in, in the Greek language is, is logos. And the Greek word logos was used by philosophers of the time to refer to the, the divine reason for the universe, for the cosmos. We see the word word, and we don't think twice. We know what the word word means, but there's more to the word word 
to the original readers than what we see. It's this divine, the word's logos, so it's like logic, the divine logic, the divine reason for the world. The reason, let, let's read it again. The, the divine reason for the cosmos became flesh and dwelt among us. It adds a little bit there. It adds something there. The divine reason for the world existing has become human, has dwelled among us, has come into a dark world where there hasn't been a prophet for 400 years. The divine reason for the logic has become flesh, is what the text says, flesh. Uh, Now, when you see flesh, this is what we usually call the incarnation, meaning God in the flesh. And uh, incarnation, if you've ever ordered Mexican food, you know carne means beef. So it's God in the beef, okay? God in the flesh. And he dwelt among us. God's not this distant being that's far above us, very distant that you'll never be able to reach. Many people view God as this distant being that they have to work themselves to. But the, the God of the Bible is not a distant God that you have to work yourself to to get to the top of the mountain so you can reach him. Instead, it's a God who has made himself one of us, who's come down off the mountain to lead us to the mountaintops so that we may go with him. He's, he's not impossible to understand or even impossible to know in a personal way. He's revealed himself by becoming like us and living among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the shocking aspect of the incarnation. God became flesh and dwelt among us. The natural thinking here is if God's coming as a person, he's coming with some power. The world's going to know, and you know the world did know, but it wasn't through the ways that you would think. Instead of coming with trumpet sound, Jesus came and was born in a stable with animals. That was not customary for that time of day. I know it was 2,000 years ago, so you're thinking, sure, everyone was born with animals. No, everyone was not born with animals, okay? If, If I told you I was born in a barn with cows and sheep, you would say, you're from Mississippi, and I would say, yes, I am. But that's not normal for Mississippi, okay? Jesus revealed the character of God by coming humbly. Our God is so unique. He's so unique. He's not this power-hungry deity looking for our sacrifices so that he may be appeased. No, He's a benevolent and loving creator and redeemer who doesn't demand our sacrifices, but sacrificed himself for us. He is near to the brokenhearted and the sorrowful. He lifts up the meek. He hears the cries of the lowly. Our God is a unique God who is ultimately powerful and yet ultimately near. He is transcendent and imminent. He controls the universe. The divine reason for the, for the being of the universe has made himself flesh, has come to live among us. 
Let the power of that sink in. If you're used to the gospel message, that might sound commonplace, but that is amazing. That he would become a man and dwell among us and take the sacrifice, become the sacrifice for us. That is revolutionary. Jesus, he, he pierces the darkness. He came during some of the darkest days of Israel. All was dark, and then a light broke through. God was born as a man in a stable in Bethlehem, laid in a manger, humbly among the animals. All the days of his life, he spoke with truthfulness, power, and authority, the very words of God. He spoke those words. In the beginning, was I'm going to read your passage from last week because it's perfect here. In the beginning was the word, the divine reason for the cosmos. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So during the 400 years of silence, the people of God were longing for the word of the Lord. They were longing for a prophet to tell them God's will. They were longing for, to hear from God. And Colossians 1 verse 26 says this, The mystery that was hidden for ages and generations has now been revealed to you, the Gentiles. I want you to, I want you to sink in with this, okay? He's calling the entire, not just this period of darkness, but the entire Old Testament as a period of mystery, longing for God. Even though Moses, he spoke with God face to face, even though you, they saw powerful signs and wonders, even though they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground, even though Elijah started a fire just by praying to God, even though God showed up in magnificent and powerful ways. What this passage is telling us is that those things were just a mystery, and now you get the real thing. You get to know God and see what he's all about. You get to see what God is about because he came as a humble baby, because he came as a humble person to show us and to live for us the perfect life. Jesus satisfies all of, the long all of the Old Testament longings for a Messiah. In every passage in the Old Testament, it's whispering the need for Messiah, the need for Jesus to come. And now we have this mystery that's been hit hidden for ages and generations, but it's now revealed to us. But it not only satisfies the Old Testament longings, it satisfies our longings for a Messiah. Our longings for purpose. Friends, you don't have to hunt for meaning and purpose within ourselves. You don't have to hunt for it within yourself because God has given you meaning. He's given your life purpose. Jesus came to restore the broken world through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Because of what Jesus has done, everything we do should be for his glory and his purposes. Because of what Jesus has already done, our life is for his meaning and his purpose. 
Our life has meaning because of what he's done. You don't have to change the world. Jesus has already done that. Now you just walk in and follow him. How, how much of our life is wasted trying to change the world, trying to make a name for ourselves? Jesus has already done it. We're trying to be Jesus. If Jesus gives life purpose, he is the word of God made flesh, what does that practically mean for you today? What does it practically mean for you today? Well, first, first, there's an absolute truth. There is an absolute truth. There is a voice of God. The light shines through the darkness. Jesus rose from the dead and he still lives. Stop trying to make your life worth something and accept the meaning that God has given you. You Your strivings and longings that leave you disappointed. I know, I have those. I strive, I long, I have dreams and I'm usually disappointed. It's not wrong to have dreams. It's not wrong to have strivings and longings, but don't our hearts become too entangled in that very quickly? My heart is a a twisted place often where I can take good things and make them what my life is all about. And then all of a sudden, it it all feels like it's falling apart. Because it's revolving around the wrong purpose. I'm trying to make purpose for myself instead of trusting in what Christ has done for me. Your life has purpose. In everything you do, there is purpose. God has you where he has you for a purpose. He's given you purpose even in the most menial tasks. You don't have to change the world for your life to matter. Jesus already did it. Now we do everything in light of that. Because Jesus is the word of God made flesh, if you want to know what Jesus is like, this is the second thing that, God, that practically means for us that God gives us our lives purpose. Because Jesus is the word of God made flesh. If you want to know what God is like, get to know Jesus in the scriptures. If you want to know God, just read the scriptures. Read about Jesus. Read the book of John. And for the rest of this month, just finish the book of John. Get to know who Jesus is. That tells you who God is, what God is like. If you want to get to know God, sit slowly on his scriptures. Meditate on them. Let these truths become truths for you. Let them sink deep into your soul. Let them create a quiet soul within you. Because if you're like me, your soul is loud and noisy like a fussy toddler on his mother's lap. But the scripture says that when we meditate on his word, when we satisfy ourselves in God, we're like a quiet child, a weaned child on his mother's lap. Quiet on the inside. I know I long for that quiet on the inside. That moment when I can rest from making my life have its own purpose and meaning. Lastly, if if Jesus is the true word of God piercing our darkness, he will tell us what we need to hear and not simply what we want to hear. Sometimes we're confronted with truth that's challenging for us. But if there is an absolute truth, then we are sometimes confronted with that. 
Do you know what Babylon B is? Have you guys heard of Babylon B? It's like the onion for Christians, okay? So if you've been in a church for any amount of time, I actually encourage you to, to look at it. It's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of funny. Uh, there's always something that makes me laugh, but then again, I'm a pastor, and so I'm supposed to laugh at that sort of thing. Um, but they had an article on there uh, saying, skeptic, willing to believe in God if you show evidence that God's opinions are identical to his own. I'm willing to believe in God if you show me evidence that God agrees with everything I already believe. That's not how it works. You see, we, we live in a broken and dark world. We're affected by the darkness. What makes you think that you're exempt from that? You're affected by the darkness. And sometimes God, when he shines light, you're going to see some ugly things. When God shines light into my heart, I'm often broken and hurting. I often see how I've loved things more than I've loved God. How I've sought after my own kingdom, haven't sought after God's kingdom. But that light is not a bad thing. We have a choice when we see the, that light. We can turn our heads and run. We can try to turn the lights back off, close, close the Bible as quick as possible, shut off the voice of the Lord. Or we can look at it and we can say, you're right. You're right. There's something in me that I need to turn from, and I need to make my life about you again. My behavior reflects my heart. Your behavior always reflects your heart. What you value is what you do. And so as you see your behavior that wanders from the Lord, that just reminds you and shows you that you're not loving the Lord with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. So it points you back to Him. We have to, when we come to Jesus, if he really rose from the dead, if what Jesus says and does is true, we have to give him a blank check and say, whatever you say, I'll believe and I'll do. Whatever you say, I'll believe and I'll do. A young woman uh, was recently uh, brought to faith in our church, and um, she had lived a, a lifestyle that would not reflect uh, your normal churchgoer. Uh, she had been promiscuous, and uh, she would tell you herself that that's, that was her life. She was a partier, promiscuous. Um, and to see what God did in such a short time, where she went from that lifestyle, and, and this is kind of a radical change. See, she said, but Jesus, Jesus has changed my life. I love Jesus with everything I, I, I am. And he tells me that I don't do this stuff anymore. So I'm not. It was that simple for her. Sometimes it's a much slower process. It's not just about behavior modification, but it's about changing our heart. You see that our heart is now based in what God says for her. What God tells her is true of herself. So maybe you're in this place where you need to let the Lord speak with authority into some part of your life that you have curtained off the light, that you have not allowed the light to shine. You have rooms in the, if you imagine your life as a great master hallway, you have rooms down the hallway that have been locked and closed for many years. Friends, just let God crack it open a little bit. Let the, shi let the light shine in so that he can bring life and joy and his presence forever.
And many of those things in those rooms, in, our, in that hallway of our heart, in those rooms, sometimes there's the fine china of our heart. The things that are hurtful or the things that we don't want anybody to touch. And what it means when the light comes in is that you slowly start to let other people into that room so that their words may bring more light and more power. I'm not saying go throw your heart china around, okay? Um, but I'm, I'm saying let, let a close friend in. Let someone in that they may speak more light, that they may help you with these issues of, of sin or of suffering. Ask God today. Today, ask God to speak into those places in your life. Say, God, speak into my finances. Speak into my sexuality. Speak into my business. Speak into my leisure time. The things that are off limits, God, I, I want light. I want you to speak into this. This is an act of faith to listen to Jesus no matter what. When I open my Bible every morning, I, I try to get up before my family. I usually fail. Um, but I open my Bible and I say, God, what do you want me to hear today? What do you want me to hear today? And sometimes I'm in Leviticus, and it's not easy to grab the right, to grab the message, but I, I can get there. Because God has helped me understand his word over time. And so as we finish today, I want you to pray that Jesus will speak to you, even if it's something you don't want to hear. Say, Jesus, what do you want to say to me? Where do you want to shine light in the midst of my darkness? What do you want me to hear? What part of my life is dark that I'm overlooking, that I'm avoiding? Shine light because your light is life. Even if you're not a Christian today, what's the harm to ask? What's the harm to just say, God, shine light into my life. What do you want me to hear? You know, if God doesn't exist, you got nothing to worry about. He won't say anything to you. But if he does exist and you're just trying to figure that out, but you're at church, so you're probably trying to figure it out, just ask him to shine light, help him to see, help you, help get, ask him to help you to see him. And he often answers that prayer. Let's pray together and then we're going to continue to worship. God, we thank you for, for the light that pierces the dark.